Art is life, and life's a fight. So all artists do battle every day. Demons trying to take your soul. I'm Jacob, you're going to get weapons here. Kill those demons and make your life and work your own masterpiece. Let's get into this. Artist Life, episode three, with first guest, my friend, Sujin, a.k.a. Sue, a.k.a. Jiu-Jitsu Purple Belt under Hodge Gracie <laughs> as of Saturday, and we're in her studio, so I'm surrounded by interesting pictures and all sorts <laughs> of interesting artistic vibes, which makes me feel right at home. Um... And you've been yawning quite a lot because you said that you you said you were here till like four. Yeah, I stayed up for a while. Yeah. So what were you working on? Then I into shower and stuff, so you know, get cleaned up for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but last night, yeah, last night was more of a thinking time and like editing because I've just recently had two group exhibitions yeah. with some amazing international artists, all all sorts of discipline and background. So obviously we have to keep documentations of our work because mm. that becomes what we use fundamentally for websites or any kind of application. So yeah. all the post work stuff. Okay, happening. so I've got my idea of what editing looks like, but that's words on a blank piece of paper and just yeah. jigging them about and forever <laughs> being tormented and frustrated by yeah. mistakes that I see. But what does so what does editing look like for you with uh, the canvas and the paintbrush? How does that work? Well for me, since the work is not completely finished until there's an audience. Yeah. Um I feel like I do bring them back to the studio and do refine them in a way. But editing for me is more digital stuff. Okay. So in the studio, I, I feel like I'm a very compartmentalizing person. Yeah. So even the way I work is very divided. So, you know, I have a studio day where I actually execute and make the work. And the editing days are all digital stuff. Okay. What I call the boring stuff, yeah. but very necessary stuff. Photoshopping, editing images, all fixing all the lights. I know all about that. Yeah, uh, it takes me too long. The most fun bit is like when I'm. The most fun bit is when I finish the book, and I just feel euphoric, and then that slowly wears off, and then I'm like, exactly, <sighs> exactly, and then you have the blank page again, right? How yeah. However. Edit, editing has been getting more fun because I've been making less mistakes. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, the kind of stuff that I had to cut out before, like the book that I gave you, yes. that, um, The God in Maps, is the first of the of Life and Brotherhood trilogy. Uh -huh. That's like, the, the one you've got, that's like um, the sixth draft, and it it's like... 63,000 something words, mm -hmm. but it, it, the first draft was 80,000 words, but oh. I had to cut out just 
a whole bunch of trash where I went off on some ridiculous diatribe trying to put my entire life philosophy into two paragraphs <laughs> or some stupid shit like that. But that's <laughs> the hardest part. Yeah, I've been more disciplined with that. Like, yeah, I'll, be, I'll be typing and then I'll catch myself. After two sentences, I'm just like, <laughs> breathe. Don't do any of that. That's yeah. enough. Carry on with the story. Keep it moving. And because, like, sometimes, especially if you want to have a book, have a lot of impact, you just sometimes it gets away from you and just ruins it. Definitely. And, and that's that's what makes editing agony for me. Yeah, it's it's um, it's almost more difficult when you have so much content ready. Yeah whether it's written or in your head or in my case as well like paintings and yeah but i guess it's like a happy happy dilemma for us that you know that we have it and it's a process of kind of cleaning it up and yeah. removing rather than trying to find something to add on to do you find that even harder do you find that you'll get an idea when you don't want an idea because you just want to break for a week and then you can't like sit down and be calm because the idea is like taking shape so you're happy because it's interesting but at the same time you're like oh, fuck off just give me a bit of a break please yeah i think i think that i think it always has like a time that it comes like the idea and yeah. it's like you said it's when you're thinking about it so much almost forcing it in a way is yeah the worst and and I feel like when I step away from it completely from anything to do with art is when, when something hits and then I want to go back to the studio right at that moment, but I'm doing something else. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sort of in that now because like yeah. I, I, edited, I finished editing the books and got them up on Amazon. I thought, I, thought, I thought my brain would be clear for a few months. I was like, okay, all I'm going to do is just sit and read and then I'm going to go train. Yeah. Um, but then another novel idea came in my head. So I had one day where I was just planning it so furiously, just like I had been the other ones, and it was horrible. Because I couldn't stop that sort of just tidal wave of possible information and ideas, so I just had to get it down. And I was getting so exhausted. And then I managed to just put, like, put my foot on that and like be back to normal now. So I'm deliberately not planning it. Good. I feel like I feel you. Take, do it's so hard. Like, yeah, you, you have to make it a point to step away from it. Oh but yeah, it's so hard to you know because it is constantly something that we're thinking about. Even when we're looking at yeah. something else that's nothing to do with your writing or the art, um, yeah. you keep making connections and relating to that. So yeah, I, it, it I is hard for, to step away. I think for me, like the every book idea kind of felt like a crisis in the beginning because I hadn't hit that sort of base <laughs> level of quality that I was searching for yeah because I knew that I could be good but I hadn't proved to myself that I okay I'm sort of good now so but I think I got to that when I wrote we danced the jungles madness which was the last novel that I did because a lot the the last two were two non-fiction books but mm -hmm. um, once I got to that I really kind of felt relieved yeah. Especially based on the um, the feedback that I got from it, and that kind of allowed me to be a bit more a bit more balanced, mm -hmm. and not that yeah, that kind of helped bring the stress down. Yeah, the feedback system bit. is very important as well. 
Yeah. And, you know, that is something a lot of artists and makers like us struggle with. And sometimes we have a lack of that. And yeah. when we do, of course, you can't be taking every opinion into consideration, of course, but it's always a helpful process that is necessary too. I think that helps in that difficult editing and filtering process that we were talking about. Yeah. Like another fresh set of eyes. Yeah. Always, always help, help me, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So if we go back a bit, like how, what was the sort of genesis of your interest in being artistic? Was it more of a general exploration and then you've kind of honed it and focused it down to this? Like I know for me, I sort of, um, especially when I was a teenager, Thai boxing was the focus, but I was always writing journal entries. Oh, cool. And then when I was 20, I wrote my first book and then the light bulb went on and I was like, okay, here's the direction. Mm -hmm. Maybe 20 is the number. <laughs> Maybe, possibly. Because I'm thinking back now, like I think a lot of my family member as well. My mom was a painter. Mm -hmm. My aunt is a gallery curator. So is my cousins. And in a way, I think oh, it's right, okay. part of the family too. That yeah, you know, literally, like it is in our DNA to kind of yeah have this desire to create something. It, I think that's one of the hardest things. But anyway, and um, but it's not something I, I knew I wanted to do since I was a kid or anything like that. You know, I, I thought I would be a vet. <laughs> <laughs> I Seriously? That I would be a vet. <laughs> I don't know what happened to medical school, school there. But I wasn't expecting <laughs> you to say that. So I totally I thought, thought I'd that. be a vet. Yeah, I thought I'd be in a white gown, like, you know, touching Nothing furry against animals. Vets. God bless them. No, I love animals. We, we need vets. See, we all love animals. <laughs> Who doesn't? So that's my, that was my first go-to. And then, I think it, I was at least like 15, 16 right. when I started painting watercolors. Yeah. Self-portraits, people's, mainly portraits, I think. And then I'm like, mm, like it's not, I'm not, I'm not too bad. Like, and this is fun. Like, so I felt something, and then I decided to study that for my BA. Portraiture. Uh, painting. Oh, okay, right. Painting, and then I ended up focusing on painting, drawing, and printmaking. So I think during the BA was my kind of first step. So that was the exploration part, which was good. The four years of BA allowed me to do so many different areas, um, digital arts, different types of prints because of the facility yeah. in the school that allowed me to do that. And then after that, I worked with another um, Tibetan artist for a while. That, okay. that was amazing. That was, I think, an irreplaceable experience. His name's Gonkar Gyatso. Okay. Amazing human and an amazing artist. Um, and that did make me realize seeing him, I think, really every day literally wake up into his studio and just so be in peace with himself uh that that really got to me and um and i think that's when i started focusing so like goalless just doing is that the kind goal of, is just doing uh goalless doing so you're just doing mm -hmm. for the love of what it is without like i need to get here 
Yeah, I didn't. Is really, it kind of like that? I didn't really have a point that I felt like I needed to get to. Like, yeah, I, I didn't really feel like I even really understood what it is that I'm doing or right. I'm about to do. Um, and then that made me think, okay, I should probably go back to school as well, which originally landed me in London in the first place. And then I'm still here after school. But yeah, there wasn't like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna create ten pieces yeah, and then yeah. have it be shown here, and then I have to know the like, I didn't have anything planned. It's interesting like that with <laughs> books as well. Like you have an idea, but you only, I only realize exactly what it is when it's done. Yeah. Like you, you have some sometimes. It, like random characters will pop up that you didn't even plan on and yeah and like sometimes I'll write like I'll be sitting there and typing and like my con my rational brain's completely turned off and completely <laughs> zoned out and then I'll stop after however long I wanted to write and sometimes I'll be like where the hell did that come from <laughs> and you just it's just one of those things you don't know it just you comes don't. out of nowhere those are kind of these happy Unexpected moments. Accidents. Happy accidents. Happy accidents. Yeah, we all have those and gotta embrace them. You need them though, because if then if you don't have them, then I don't think what you have is going to be an authentic representation of oneself. Because mm -hmm. that's the thing, like especially with writing, it's a real subconscious process. Yeah. Like I don't plan very much. I have really rough structure, just a vague idea in my head, so I don't go off on a complete tangent. But ninety, I would say ninety-five percent of the book I just make up on the spot. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, it must be like that for painting as well. Sometimes I think so. I think I think for me as well. Um, similar to that writing, how you have a general structure, maybe sort of a setting or something. Like I do yeah. have like a setting or like uh, color fields or certain values of tones that evoke certain type of. Feelings that I'm thinking about, you know. Yeah. So I always have a um, palette ready. Um, so again, it's like a structure. So it's okay. It's going to be these kind of blues, these kind of uh, greens, maybe like the purplish grays. Okay, and then I have a big, the background composition prepared, and then you start. And I think I go off the canvas, kind of sketch up something else on top of that background I made. Come back. And it's always like a back and forth process. Yeah. Kind of following that general vague structure you have. And then it gets honed down slowly. So, and then yeah. go on to the details. So who, who are some of the artists from history? Like it, not even limited to the discipline of painting, uh -huh. but just who are some of the people that really kind of you look towards for um, inspiration or just, to get that sort of creative rub. Mm. Um, I, I, I use the term rub because that's been used quite a lot. It's like the rub. It has it. Oh, and yeah, what I, I guess And so. what I mean by that is like, like as we both know, like you just train with people at jiu-jitsu that are better than you. Like, uh, like for me, like being a blue belt, getting smashed by Nemo. <laughs> Thanks, Nemo. <laughs> um, on, a, on a weekly basis in the afternoons. Um, but as he's doing it, like having him talk through stuff, like, okay, Jacob, when you're in side control, um, and you're going to mount, don't loosen the pressure with your shoulder on my chin. So, cause then I can get my arm in and just make sure there's no gaps with your hips as you're sliding the shin across, etc. 
whenever I roll with people the same level as me, same experience level as me, I can tell that I just jumped. Mm. So you kind of get a rub with that, mm-hmm. like just with those older people. And you, I think you can get that without having meeting, met stuff, met people before. Mm-hmm. Like you should see their work and there's just something in there that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. I think so, like kind of going off of how you can get the quote-unquote rub from someone in draining, like you do, you are, I feel like just as much as you're, you fight like your personality, like your personality shows when you roll in a way and maybe certain yeah. techniques and movements, it is who you, part of who you are. Your writing is part of who you are. My paintings and my works are part of who I am. So in that sense, I think it, it you are naturally attracted to a certain, I don't know, visual language perhaps. Like for me, I'm, I'm always looking at and have been in the, 1920s Russian constructivists. Okay. I think the 20s always for writing as well. It's just Fitzgerald, my favorite. Fitzgerald, time I can. Hemingway. Um, I mean, painters, Picasso. Exactly um, a lot. Was it Dali as well? Salvador Dali is one of my favorites as well. He's he's definitely yeah. definitely a main one. Um, Kandinsky. Lisiski and Lisiski, all those these quote unquote minimal yeah. geometric abstraction of space, uh, kind of I think that's where everything starts for me. So I'm really into the Bajas movement as well. I, I'm which, not familiar with that. What is it? It's like a German Bajas movement, I guess around the same time. And okay. I think some of the I, I think some there's architectures here as well still quite brute and again minimal um, sticking to the materials um, and in a way to me they're like the Russian constructivist paintings are like constellations as well okay. I don't know if you have any of the paintings in mind I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in terms of painting. I'm really not educated in it. No, I just, I've just, I've spent so I, much I time just delving in books. So. There's so many artists now that I feel like it's, you know, it's always like, oh, that artist that that paints this. It's like, okay, good one. <laughs> How do you know that? But, yeah, yeah. It's it's that sort of thing. Like it's it's that constant want to produce something that's really authentically original mm-hmm. to yourself but it's so but it's hard to but do that, that that's one of those things like i was watching um a lecture that jordan peterson did mm-hmm. on creativity and he, it was really interesting him talking about it and how rare like actual creative people are mm-hmm. and he was talking about the architecture in um canada compared to europe and talking about how just hideous it is um compared to compared to europe and talking about how the economic payoffs of actually making more beautiful architecture mm-hmm. in Canada would it would be incredible, and him explaining how true creative people are really rare. Thinking about that, and then thinking how many people do do creative things, but I think within any creative thing, one can not be a creative person when they're 
doing a creative thing. Because um, I think creativity is innovation. Mm -hmm. So taking one thing and then seeing what's done and then literally bringing about something that hasn't been done before. But there are plenty of people um, that, have done, that do things that have already been done. Mm -hmm. So it's very clear that they're doing something that's already been done versus mm -hmm. making something that hasn't been done. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I think it's, I was just speaking to Fiona all right, uh, okay. about all that stuff, like how, you know, we come in, we wake up and imagine having to create something every day. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, something that's new original authentic to you maybe even to other people it's yeah. that that's not an easy thing to do especially in this kind of consumerist packed yeah. world it's the world is filled with shit if you really want to say like it's filled <laughs> with so much that yeah you know and then i guess that's why it brings in the conversation of so much conceptual art nowadays because it's yeah. like okay physically everything's sort of been made it's almost like a variation an alteration of stuff according to aesthetic or personal subjective preference to a point where now we're getting concepts and intangible things in our heads as yeah. something that is innovative and rightfully yours but you like who has ever who's ever been you know okay that thought is mine you can't think about that because it's my thought like yeah you know, no no you know, I don't believe in that you can't do that but I guess that's why conceptual art yeah. is always Stephen King put put it quite well um, he's he said this isn't an exact quote because I can't remember the exact one but yeah. it's, there's nothing new about eggs but there's always a new way to fix eggs <laughs> So it's kind of like, I think with books, that relates to themes mm -hmm. and certain topics, but mm -hmm. what the specifics of that will look like in terms of the image that you create on the page is going to be different depending on the person. Like I thought, I thought about that a lot when I was trying to figure out how I like to write my books. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted to write, old advice, write the book that you want to read. So I didn't like the fact that there were lots of literary books that had really brilliant writing in it, but were really boring mm -hmm. in parts. And I didn't like the fact that a lot of commercial books, 99% of which have really, really kick-ass story ideas, but I couldn't get through them because of how they were written. There's so much telling, not enough showing. And essentially the way I structured my books was trying to basically remedy all the things that I've found to be irritating <laughs> so um and i mean my my dad said that he's never he hasn't read a book written like mine before and i think like I, I trust my dad's opinion because if my book was a pile of shit those are the words that he would use uh -huh. jacob this is a pile of shit uh -huh. start over try again <laughs> honest man <laughs> yeah so when he tells me what he thinks i actually do um believe him he's not blowing smoke up in my face or anything right. like that so that was kind of like my thing I just saw what was there and what I liked on certain pages and of books and what I didn't like and then just kind of put it all in there and I did I, I spent a lot of time n deliberately not reading like many writing books and how to do it there were a couple but like on writing by Stephen King, which I thought was good. 
But even in that, some of the things that I thought, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I just ignored that. It was more the principles that I was yeah. after as opposed to put your comma here and make your dialogue look like this. Yeah. So the principles went in and then I just let my brain sort it out how I wanted. Exactly. Which but I, I guess that goes back to how you were, um, you know, linking creativity to innovation, whereas, you know, yeah. how... So you, there is some sort of, like, it's good for you to... There's a reason why his books are famous and he is a renowned author. So... Mm. It's good to just at least know and maybe see and hear yeah. what he's thinking about. But then you do your own thing with it. You don't just follow a structure, a given set of instructions. I, I see. I see. Like my own mind is like a sieve. It will filter out the things that it, it doesn't want, but it will keep the stuff that it does. So take it all in, but just don't be attached to any of it, and just be curious to find what it wants to keep. Mm-hmm. I say it, it's like I'm talking about a different person, but it kind of, in a way it sort of is. Kind of is, though. Kind of is, yeah. yeah. There's this old saying <laughs> that writer, writers aren't one person, they're a bunch of different people trying to be one person. Mm-hmm. That was F. Scott Fitzgerald who said that. Um, the guy I believe the, that. The guy wrote The Great Gatsby. It gets irritating sometimes. <laughs> um, especially when you're writing the novel and you've got 18 different character voices in your head. You just want them to all shut up and leave you alone. <laughs> yeah. Like you just, you're writing about something, someone, or building that character, but you always have these other ones in the back of your head, so then you know, but then you want to kind of put them aside until this one is built. And, you know, I completely understand that similarly. It, yeah. it is so interesting just talking about it like that. Like all the, the way you form your philosophy and ideas obviously mm. around writing as a writer and me and my own language of these visual languages but picture we're essentially thinking words. about the same so, thing <laughs> picture says a thousand words yeah, but yeah that's why like i called this podcast an artist's life yeah because i think the principles are generally the same but they're just yeah. implemented in different specific ways based on what an individual's creative medium is because you'll have because you have to do that but generally speaking the principles kind of stay the same Mm-hmm. And that's for that's for a, a lot in life, like so, like human nature in general. Of course. And um, but specifics kind of change, but it tends to stay the same. Yeah, like I always say, you know, there's multiple realities. Like reality is perception. Like your reality and my reality. Yeah, we share the same space. We breathe the same air. Yes, we're on one planet altogether. Yeah. However, it's Yours and mine is completely different. Even from yours to your father's, who is blood related, is mm. you guys have different realities, and it's all perception and how you see things and what you have been been learning, been exposed to, and how you yeah. arrange these things in your head into memories or inspiration, whatever it may be. But what you decide to store and what you decide to not keep in your head. That's all, that all shapes your own reality, I yeah, think. For sure. That's completely different from every individual. Yeah. That's why, like, um, martial arts and jiu-jitsu and Thai boxing and all of that is so important oh, for yeah, me. Oh, yeah, Because I, I started doing that before. But the, the other thing is, is, like, when you're kind of channeling stuff, out, all your ideas out of the well, mm-hmm. at least for me, um, like, going to jiu-jitsu and, 
hitting a heavy bag or going to Thai boxing and all of that, when your heart rate is just jacked to the max and you're just like grappling with someone else, like if it's like Saturday sparring, where it's round after round, you're exhausted. You can't think about anything else. Mm-hmm. So it's re- it's nice for the brain because it's like a reset button on all the analysis. It yeah. just shuts off completely, so it can recharge. Mm-hmm. And like in the in episode one, I was talking about that trifecta. Yeah. And you need to all those three things. Like yeah, you need to be channeling all your ideas out, but you need to like have some some sort of hold on higher consciousness so you can actually handle the themes that you're exploring if it turns out to be really dark for example mm-hmm. like I've written about I've done my best to explore some pretty dark shit in some of my books and just n- knowing how to understand that means I don't go off the rails and second just training a lot being in better shape means that the physical fatigue from concentration I can recover from easier mm-hmm. and when you're knackered and completely burnt out it's way easier to go off the rails with something oh it helps it's it's like it's like a medicine because I, I, I feel yeah. that way about training sometimes you know it's a whole different art form but also crosses over it, it helps me switch myself off because otherwise yeah, it's not gonna get switched off, and I'll just stay up all night thinking or doing something that's related to yeah my practice or because essentially my practice is my life, and it's it all kind of melds in together. I sometimes I'm so good at separating stuff all over the studio, but yeah. in my head I have a hard time because yeah. it's like so many tabs all the time, and you train, and like you said, the body and mind are connected, so your body's exhausted, so it will make your brain shut down. Yeah, well, you, so all your brains, at least like <laughs> yesterday, I'll give another example, um, like the one o'clock class, you do some drills and oh, yeah. and uh, there's a lot of sparring in that one and um, I always get my ass kicked in that because <laughs> everyone's, <laughs> everyone's better than me. Um, but that's good because like, like when someone's got you in side control and they're basically crushing your face with their shoulder and then you're trying to stop them getting mount. Um, that's all that you can think about. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you can't, you don't have space to think about something else because of that immediate sort of um, threat, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. And then whenever I go back to my work, it's, huh, okay, that was a nice break. I can do. I can. I've got the energy for this now. For sure. But if I, but also if I just trained, but I wasn't doing my work because. That's what I'm wired for. That's what I want my career to be, books. Mm-hmm. Then I would still feel off. Need, yeah. I need both. It is a balance, isn't it? But it's that. It's just that. Um, it's getting figuring out what the priorities are. Like for example, um, like Muji. He, he jujitsu is his thing, and I'm sure he has his other things that he likes to do, hobby wise. And of course, I know Hodger told me that he really likes to read, and um, Charles plays guitar mm-hmm. outside of teaching, and. Um, basically just annihilating the majority of the academy <laughs> um, but everyone sort of has their has their thing but one tends to be okay this is where I'm gonna put that sort of competition mindset which is where it's more militaristic like mm-hmm. okay I'm not in the mood but shut up do it mm-hmm. um, 
Whereas like I'm nice and easy with myself with jujitsu, for example. Uh -huh. It's like okay, I'm a bit sore. I'll leave it for today and go tomorrow. But I don't have that with my books, yeah. reading and stuff like that. It's more That's regimented. So true. I guess it is. I was just gonna say, I guess it is like our biggest passion. But jujitsu also is both of our another passion and. So that, yeah. I think that's why it becomes quite difficult too, whereas, you know, for some people, yeah, it is passion, but if it's some sort of a quote-unquote smaller hobby mm. in that sense, um, it is slightly more manageable, but also it is an art form. Like when you talk about yeah, how 100%. when you how your brain can't think about anything else when, you're, when someone's about to mount you from side control, it sounds simple, okay, they've got one thing they want to do, they want to mount you. But for you to think about how to not let them mount, it's so many things as well. Like you yeah. are also, it is a lot of different areas and techniques and small details that you do have to yeah. pay attention to. So Yeah, like it, it's like today and last night I was listening, I haven't finished it yet, I was listening to the latest Raspberry Ape podcast episode because oh, he got Mauricio on for three and a half hours oh wow so Mauricio's just talking about cool. jiu-jitsu in the 60s and um training with holes and um talking about hicks in, in there and just all these in, just awesome stories oh, cool. and talking about Hodger and the genesis of him to being who he who he is now and his thoughts on um like sport jiu-jitsu, the self-defense aspect. Mm -hmm. So all of you, Raspberry 8 podcast, Mauricio Gomez. If you don't know who Mauricio Gomez is, Google immediately and pay homage. <laughs> yes, <laughs> what he said. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, that was really, really good and just delving into that whole aspect of it. So how long have you been doing jiu-jitsu now? About five years? Like Purple Belt, five years? I think... This is my fourth year. Okay, right, right, right. My fourth year, yeah. I was introduced to it maybe five, six years ago, but I've only really started to focus on it once Once I got to RGA. Yeah. So, about four. So how did that come about? Like, you just get to RGA, like, didn't someone introduce you or to the, to the club, or did you just sort of Google it and find it? Well, to the club, I did, I did like, I swear, some jujitsu gym shopping when I first got here. Like, <laughs> I, I took time off and went to a few different gyms. I right. went to, um, like, London Fight Factory. I yeah. visited Carlson Gracie. I think I went to another one, but at the time, I didn't really know too much about jujitsu, so they all. Yeah. But I definitely went around different ones and felt out. I did all their intro classes to kind of see what the vibe is like mm. I have to say just Roger Gracie Academy the friendliest one the right. friendliest one and um, just immediately felt like okay this is this is good this will work and it was the last one I went to this is home all the other ones like I was like okay not that one not that one not that one and then I ended up and I was like okay this is good yeah like for, for me it was cut for me it was slightly slightly different because the first martial art I did one of my friends from school I was like 15 mm -hmm. one of my friends from school had already gone a little bit and he dragged me down it was Wing Chun Kung Fu oh, yeah. down the road and um, so I was starting that but the club that we were a part of um, the head instructor was a guy called Kevin Chan 
who is one of Mauricio's nine black belts. Oh, really? Yeah. So, world. so what Kevin Chan would do is he would get, he would, because he was training in boxing and Thai boxing and obviously doing jujitsu. Yeah. So he was putting these elements into his class structures as well, because he real because he realised that. Uh, I mean, I, I haven't, I don't know, I don't know him, but. Everyone, I think, now knows that you can't neglect your jiu-jitsu. Yeah, and, definitely not. Um, getting an understanding how to use your hands and tie boxing and things like that. These are all critically important, as the UFC has shown. Mm-hmm. So he got that stuff put in, and he ran seminars every now and again for jiu-jitsu. And there was one in Portsmouth. My, um, so I went down there when I was young because like, my uh, mum's parents lived there. Mm-hmm. And he got Mauricio to come and teach that seminar. So I went there and um, did the seminar, and it was really interesting. But I was still quite young, so I didn't quite grasp it. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't understand, like, the kind of caliber of teaching that I was being privileged to be a part of, like, with Mauricio, which I understand now. So, and then I, I started Thai boxing just obsessively after that. Yeah. Um, and... Then I was thinking, when I was living in Kew, um, for a little bit, I was thinking, I want to start doing jiu-jitsu again, because I was listening to Joe Rogan talk about it on his podcast. Yeah, I love his podcast. Which is actually, I I asked Muji about this, that's how he started jiu-jitsu. He was listening to Joe Rogan, and uh, he just started (laughs) jiu-jitsu. So I was thinking, because like I'd already had that kind of exposure to Mauricio and uh, the RGA lineage let's say yeah early on it just seemed a normal fit and it was really easy to get here from q you oh, just perfect. get the 237 zip perfect yeah i'm not in q i'm not in q anymore but i'm yeah i get the same route just a little bit longer now and yeah it's awesome yeah I just so that's kind of how it was for me never i i'm very happy mm. <laughs> I, yeah. i'm very happy with that yeah. But that kind of routine I built as well, and um, it seriously it helped me with my practice in the studio too. Just yeah. like just because of that class time that's set every day, like you know, obviously a lot of people too, you work around that schedule. So I would be, you know, wake up, go to studio eight in the morning, yeah. studio all day till about five, and then evening block of time I have for training, and then. That helps me shut my brain off, and then I make some food, and then I sleep, and then it's, it repeats itself. Not last night, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's when I was a student. <laughs> now there's more than just studio. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what, how did, how has jiu-jitsu been helping you? Like, has it, just, has it just been a concentration thing, or have the principles of the martial art itself kind of filtered in, and you're looking at your work in a different way? Has that kind of happened as well? Um, I think it does. Without it being a direct thing or without me consciously wanting some sort of influence from it, I think naturally because it's an art form and it's obviously so... I become so aware of my own body. And same with paintings or artworks. Like... I think it's hard to hide the body from the work 
Like even if yeah. it's a gesture of the brush stroke, the size, if you were to draw a circle with a brush, if you draw a circle that's this big like your face, or you have a circle that's this big, you can see the movement of the body or how how big, how much space you're taking. And jujitsu, you're so aware of your body and space around you and how tight you are with someone or how tight you know how close you are and how gaps yeah gap spaces and in that sense without me consciously thinking about it I'm I'm it's almost like another way of seeing my work yeah. in that sense and I I think that changed the, sh the perspective and the going perception of my work and the distance and the relationship I have with them changed as instead of just okay this physical object and me and purely on the flat to the surface and what's happening around that yeah it, it became even more three-dimensional to me conceptually and that also I think physically made my work it fed off and feed off and um, the work itself became more physical as well yeah and it's i think it's inevitable inevitable when it's such a big part of your life yeah it is bound to seep into different aspects and as cliche as people say it's a lifestyle ooh, but it kind of does become it because you you, you can't avoid it it does physical health it's exactly. part of the trifecta it's, can't stay sane without it. You need that. It, you can't do anything if your body can't keep up with it. Yeah. Or your mind even. Your body needs to mm. be... But the, but the better shape that you're in, anyone's yeah. going to be able to produce more artistic stuff on exactly. a more regular basis you're without healthier. having lower quality. Yeah, you're probably hormonally well balanced if you need to be. And I don't know, your brain waves. Emotionally serotonin, as well. Serotonin. Yeah, just hanging around with all the people there. Endorphins, yeah, it's just clearer. I think. Yeah, like it, it's so cool because like, it's if like the book's stressing me out or something, and then you just get yourself there, and get some hard rounds in, and just plenty of adolescent jokes. Obviously, they're gonna be with Nima. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe adolescent like a jokes. A whole lot of them. <laughs> yeah, well, I, well uh, yeah, there's quite a few people. A <laughs> whole lot of jokes. Yeah, I, so once you do that and then you get some good rounds in as well, mm -hmm. that really helps just bring all the stress back down and I don't have the energy to stress out about stuff. Exactly. And you just get, everyone there wants to learn, they want to improve themselves, so you just get a nice buzz and a, just a revamp and a exactly. reboot of energy from people there. Yeah. And that certainly helps my, when I'm writing, or editing or doing any kind of idea development it helps stave off a sort of decline mm -hmm. because people it's important to like endure some solitude every now and again but after a while you need to give yourself a break and recognize that human beings need to be around each other for sure and once you come out of that sort of hermit solitude of which I'm very familiar with oh yeah um, tell me about that and then you kind of just feel that relief of oh I'm around people again mm -hmm. um, when you do go back and you start doing this it's you're gonna come up with better ideas mm -hmm. so I th especially in the 21st century I think it's um, there's too much information out there for people to 
artists and people in general to neglect that aspect of their life. Yeah. Some people just don't like to work hard as well <laughs> in everything. Because yeah. like, they're like, okay, well, I'm slaving away with this and I can't go and train and do all this. And, uh, uh. But... Like, why, why, why do you want to go train if it's like that? Yeah, the, 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 the more like hardcore people can get with their schedules and like, okay, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to go and smash training and all the little mind viruses that come in, you can just keep beating them down. Mm -hmm. um, you really just can. More, just the more you keep it, doing stuff. It's just how you see things. Like, um, you know, lately, yeah, I've been saying a lot, it is, it is about the attitude. Yeah. You know, there's always a different way to see something. And in, in a way for me, like when it's, when I'm on that kind of tight schedule, busy, like shoot here, drop something off, shoot there, shoot there, go train, like, yeah. I feel more awake because my body's active. Yeah. Instead of feeling like, ugh, like, if I'm kind of complaining about it, then it's, the journey's not enjoyable. When I'm there, it's a bit like, eh, um, like, if, if you're going to be eh about something, might as well not go do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've had moments like that, and it's, it's only recently that I've really managed to get a hold of like re just eradicating that those little moments that flank you where you like feel yeah. sorry for yourself me too it's like, and then you're just like no no yeah. and then you like like on sunday i had a mo i had a moment like that and i was just like all right fuck this i'm getting on the rowing machine yeah. and then just 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 died like i did a series of, I, I did a series of posts on it on on Instagram and just call it Sunday <laughs> Suffering Part One, Part Two, and Part Part Three, because uh, like even yeah. though like even though what I did wasn't that much in volume, it was it was so hard. I mean, that that bro machine will just crush anyone. Yeah, I don't care you who you yourself. are. I don't care who you are because the numbers are on the screen. You can't hide. So if you suck at it, it will tell you. And I hear it's hard. Yeah, and then um. But just doing that, someone who feels sorry for themselves doesn't just hop on a row machine and just annihilate themselves. So when you get off, no. you've you've just re started to rewire the your own current perception of who you are through your body. Like the mind follows the body, but the body follows the mind as well. Yeah. So whichever one's lagging in a particular moment, you need to use the other one to give it a kick up the ass mm -hmm. and get you back to normal. It's like if the body's a little bit sore, but you know you can go train, um, and it's just saying, oh, just give me a break. Your mind will say, shut up, no, go train. Mm -hmm. um, but if your mind's lagging, your body's full of energy, yeah. you're just like, eh, I don't feel like it. Uh, your body just sort of like shoves you. Yeah. Like go. one convinces the other. Yeah. You know, if the other needs, they always kind of, if, if it needs convincing, then the other one will be kind of. Yeah. But you do have to push yourself, I guess. <laughs> but it's good for like, it's it's good because when that becomes like, once that's done enough, it becomes kind of like a habit. Exactly. And then when those things pop up, like whenever you create in anything, like you're writing and you're exhausted, it's like, uh, one day off, one break, don't want to do this. Why didn't I do this? Uh, and the instinctual sort of thing is, Shut up, pussy! Stop making <laughs> stop, stop making excuses. Carry on. It's fine. Yeah. And Let's crush this shit. 
and yeah it's like it becomes more like the default so you don't need to like philosophize for as long it's yeah. more like a it comes up and then it's just squashed immediately it but it does it does become a habit and yeah. um routine and i don't think it's always that starting part of building that habit i think obviously that's difficult you know getting somewhere getting started but it's once, always rough in the beginning. once it picks up though it's like yeah if you go off that course it's a bit weird so yeah. as long as as long as it becomes habitual but that's the hardest part yeah 100 percent. so what kind of stuff have you been working on lately because you got some some of your stuff in a gallery yeah and uh so tell me a bit about that like how did you how was it getting all that stuff prepared for the gallery showing and Oh yeah, it was it was really good. The the most recent show I had was in the Crypt Gallery right. in King's Cross. Okay. The St Pancras Church there. They have a gallery space in the basement. It's kind of creepily Sorry. amazing. <laughs> the word creepy was just floating yes. around my head. <laughs> was it? It's creepily amazing. I I something I felt <laughs> something there. <laughs> but so me and another artist, Jan, she also has um, her studio down here, and uh, we curated this together. Shout out to Acme Studios. Yes. Which is where we are right now. Yes, that's the studio space. <laughs> but um, so we, you know, we are in a very global, international world where, you know, you pick up your stuff and go fly to another country in a weekend. Uh, it's quite quite easy to do that so we curated an international interdisciplinary show where some of the artists they not all of them live in London yeah some of them are in San Francisco there's one living in Japan but um, there were 12 artists in the group show and uh, I think I think it went really well um, artist led I would say um, Everyone had such different practices, but I think we were able to create um, dialogues and new conversations between the works that you know might not have been possible if they were not in that specific gallery space with the specific works. Right. Um, so I, because the space is very unique, it's not a white wall space. It's like a medieval kind of. Know, dungeony, very cool brick arches everywhere, kind of. Why is why is the word Kevorkian floating around my head now? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> Might need it sometimes. Creepy paintings, <laughs> dead people everywhere. It's kind of like that. There's loads of tombstones that we couldn't move. That was, that became part of the part of the show, but they were amazing actually. But I don't so, know how I feel about that. Yeah, well, it was pretty good. I'll show you some photos later. Um, so that that was one, and then we just had another show in the Menier Gallery by London Bridge, um, organized by uh, his name is Constantine. He's he's got a he's a curator um, with an organization called Art Number Twenty Three. Okay. So that was another another successful group show. Uh, so. Now back in the studio grinding again. Is that how it kind of works with a sh so you get everything up for a show and then it's just okay that's done new ideas. Well, is that kind of how it works? I think I think I can't speak for other artists. Obviously, um, I think everyone has a different 
way they see and handle exhibitions. I've seen a lot of artists, even with the one recently, where they, you know, some people would create a piece for the show that's quite specific, and then once it's down, it's down, and they move on. Yeah. But for me, just the process of working is very give and take, back and forth. My work is also. Um, this it could look like this or that um, these yeah. kind of du dualities and um, I think that's just how I work and for me it's yeah. it's a, it's just what what we do isn't it we make the work and share it um, and you do come back and refine it f for the next show perhaps uh, I think Da Vinci said it really well Art's never finished, only abandoned. It's so, never finished. I, no. I never you need feel to, you, like it's finished. You need to figure out, like for books, I, I always need to make sure I figure out when I'm ready to like abandon it. Mm. And David Foster Wallace talked about this. Like, You need to figure out what your, what your own level and intensity of fidelity to perfection is. Mm -hmm. Because the greater it is, the less frequent you'll put stuff out. Um... Because it'll take longer to get it done, but just finding out which one again, which one your sits well with your brain, um, is important. Because um, I know Stephen King has churned out book after book after book, mm -hmm. um, but true. like Cormac McCarthy, for example, mm -hmm. has only done ten novels in a similar kind of time. Mm -hmm. um, like I think it really depends. It on depends the on way. the person. Yeah, the process. way their process works, the way their brain works. It really, yeah, it really does. You know, you really can't say this is how an artist works. Yeah. This is how a writer works. So, but I don't. I like to just kind of keep it consistent. Going back on the whole habitual thing and just keep it routine and yeah. just always. I don't. I want to be painting or I want to be making most of the time anyway. So I'm. I'm constantly doing something maybe it's like a 10 minute quick drawing that's done for that 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 painting or that drawing da Vinci used to do those yeah those but three minute things with like horses and stuff yeah and um they sort of become, yeah they become brain exercises for you sometimes and just by doing certain scribbles you find a form that's just the perfect form for the next painting or something never know or that becomes a piece itself you use it for something else but I think the important thing is staying consistent rather yeah, than yeah, yeah. rather than okay this is for that exhibition that's done scratch that it's like it's a very organic um, constant like flow of things I think yeah. while you're working and then this gallery and this um, curator happens to come up with the this type of thematic show then oh you know I have this painting that could work well so that kind of fits in like a little puzzle piece for that temporarily and then it yeah. gets removed again and yeah. it can organically go somewhere else but thing, I think staying flexible with that and just yeah. consistent I think consistency is important yeah so do you, does your influence generally sort of go back to about the 1920s or does it go way further beyond that to maybe like the, the renaissance painters as well That was our fire alarm test. That wasn't so painful, was it? Hopefully that didn't blow out your eardrum. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a little quick, <laughs> quick loud one. Yeah. Are you okay? Is your eardrums okay? Huh? 
Yeah, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> no, <I'm> fine. <laughs> oh, okay. No, it's good. That wasn't too bad. No, I was just being overly dramatic. Yeah, but um Renaissance painters, does it go back that far? Or? Of course. I was actually just in um Prado Museum in Spain. Caravaggio? I could not yeah, some. I could not I don't think you could spend a whole day and I don't think that would be enough in there. You need a month. For someone like you who loves painting so much, you need a month. That was that was incredible. But my dad even, can do that as well. Just yeah, stare at them. Like I just, I know, I'm sure a lot of people, you know, who studied art history feels this way. And you know, you know, you just see these masterpieces that sometimes made me think. You know, when I saw it this time, it made me think: Do I? Do I even need to be creating more paintings in this world filled with so much shit, like I said earlier, yeah. when there's all these masterpieces that we can be looking back at? Like, I swear it made me wonder, and part of me just wanted to just keep looking at work that's already existing and there, rather than just keep creating something new to fill more. But Yeah, it's, I think it's like, because I've thought about that as well, and... I think for me, at least with my books, I've figured out the kind of structure and style that I like. So I'm not going to try and invent a new one. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna. Ki- I'm gonna. I'm just gonna make that refine it so it's more perfect. Right. So, because generally speaking, when you start out writing a novel, mm-hmm. the the emphasis tends to be more on the poetic nature of the language. Yeah. Because one doesn't understand people as much. But the more that you write, the more the emphasis becomes on the characters and the interpersonal dynamics. And also, your use of use or lack of poetic language, for example, to enhance those certain things. And it's, you start to see, you can chunk certain things. So you start to think in a more broad way. Like, I'll give you an example. Have you, do you know the, uh, the Great Gatsby story? Mm-hmm, of course. You read it? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, when, uh, Tom is with Myrtle in the, like, he took Nick off the train, mm-hmm. and he, they're in the apartment, and he, Tom told Myrtle to bring her sister along and mm-hmm. all of that, and when she says Daisy's name, and Tom hits her across the face, mm-hmm. um, I think it was with a backhand, um, <laughs> but, just like that. Um, like I, I was watching a video and um, Stephen Fry explained this, and I thought about it. And I was like, "Oh wow, yeah, that's really that's a really good bit of information." Because he rereads it every year. You get a sense. To, Fitzgerald built up a sense of how Tom moves in general, to, giving him his football and polo background and the sort of giant lumbering crash of his body moving through space, which adds. 10 times of a shock sort of emphasis to the act itself mm-hmm. because we have this subconscious idea of how big this person is. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if if he was like half the size of Myrtle, yeah, it would suck, but it wouldn't be anywhere near as like, oh my God, why did, how could you do that if yeah. it hadn't been built up before? But that's one of those layers underneath that to add to the thousand others that is put that people think about later in a book after they've written a lot because they don't need to once you can chunk your style when you do dialogue and you don't need to think about how you're going to structure it 
or you don't need to think about where you put your backstory stuff or where you just generally how it's how it's formatted or all the emphasis and the energy that you have can be placed on these things mm -hmm. like how am I going to build this character slowly enough so when there's this particular event that I know is going to happen um, how can I prep it before so it gives it more emphasis mm -hmm. kind of like you kind of like jujitsu you need like if you've got someone in side control you need to secure a certain spot properly so that you can so when you do bust your move and go for the mound you chances are you're going to get it mm -hmm. so timing it right and get wait 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 prep 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 and bang mm -hmm. and then do it so to go back to the original point I'm, I'm not going to create a new style for myself because I like the one that I have, but it's just to get it more perfect and mm -hmm. just more perfect. Kind of like, kind of like Arja. He's got his, he's got his style of jujitsu, and he just refines it and makes it more perfect and more perfect and more perfect, mm -hmm. which he just proved to everyone with his match against Bushesha, mm -hmm. which was amazing. Oh my god. Good Lord Almighty. My heart was like, beat, it's, my heart always beats so fast when it's always like friends or someone I know fighting. It was but, just, oh it was just masterful. It was just awe-inspiring. It's like, whoa. I'm literally speechless. It was amazing. Guys. Jesus. Guys, come on. But yeah. literally amazing. <laughs> I, I think I watched that just sharp. over and over. It was so sharp. Oh. <laughs> Blood just dripping out of my ears. Yeah. We're gonna... <laughs> just gonna be bleeding in my studio today. <laughs> yeah, it was such a... It was an amazing match. It was incredible. It, it, it wasn't... But the thing is, Bouchesh is amazing as well. So it just showed... And Mauricio talked about this on the Raspberry 8 podcast as well, like talking about that match and yeah just, wow I, seriously like it, it it is about and he did refining. it and he did it with a choke that everyone learns in the first week exactly it's, a it's collar choke. amazing but just like keep looking at that video over and over and over and Hodger's got that one grip on his left arm and he does not let yeah. go of the like he has his sleeve yeah and um like he was like before when he was spinning around to the back. He already had that, so that his, neck was, his, neck was, cause his neck was his neck was because his neck was completely clear. And then he it's just incredible. slid that in, and then just incredible. Yeah, and um, it, it, that really shows how how refined he is, and um, just and I think that is a way of building your style as an artist or an art form yeah you, but, it yeah. is refining it's about the details it's, it's yeah. the refined detail that heightens the quality yeah it's not just layers and layers of new shit just put on top of each other and in, in, incoherent like that it's very cohesive it's that Bruce Lee quote it really links that Bruce Lee quote I don't fear the guy that knows 10,000 kicks I fear mm -hmm. the guy that's done one kick 10,000 times mm -hmm. So that's one of the My other man. things that I get a lot of inspiration <laughs> from is like seeing what Hodge has done with jiu-jitsu and how he, and his walk down this path of mastery, and generally speak, like he didn't bust out a Baron, try and bust out a Baron Bolo. No, it's unnecessary. In uh, um, 
but it, it's just it's so it's so solid um basic and just unbelievably powerful and unstoppable no gaps completely calculated and controlled uh-huh. and it's so that's definitely i've taken a lot from that and seeing his example and relating that to books that's je- that's definitely what i'm going to be doing and i get a lot of inspiration from hemingway as well because oh, okay. he's got quite a he's got that he's got quite a minimalist sort of style with his language like in comparison to Cormac McCarthy for example uh-huh. um, but you never get tired of that at least for me some people can't really handle his style they just don't like they just don't click with it mm-hmm. but the way that he does it and how he just has just hones that that style that's uniquely him to a razor's edge allows this perfect picture mm-hmm. to form that showcases the characters in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely where I'm going to be going with mine. So Hemingway was a big one and seeing what Hodger did with his jiu-jitsu. Yeah. So that, like I said, it's those principles. They, the principles are the same, but you just apply it for different things. Mm-hmm. So how he refines the jiu-jitsu and focuses on these details and, and the basics and stuff like that, that's, ten, that's ha- definitely how I've been doing my books. Yeah, and I'm sure that is, I think, the way to really have your voice that is you know, specific yeah. to you and, like you said, your style of writing. And that's, yeah. I think that is just part of the process that you have to go through yeah. to have you know, yeah. the skill set of, um, yeah. of an innovative writer, innovative creator, artist, maker. And yeah. without that, you can't even have that. Like, you do have to go through these, okay, I see that again, refine that. I see another that, refine that. But yeah. it's a constant refinery. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know. Yeah. Um, that's definitely where my work goes because like the fiction that I write they if you look at it they're really simple stories they start at the beginning of where the story starts and then they go and it's not like I'm doing 10 different character viewpoints and doing time travel and uh-huh. whizzing around <laughs> everywhere uh, I'm if that works great I, that I have no desire to write that personally that's just not me I like just following someone along and generally speaking um the narration tends to follow one character through and stay with one character like if a camera hovered over one person's head Mm -hmm. um obviously that's the case if it's written in first person but even in like the god of man yeah it is in every single bit he is but again it's like simplifying it and i do like that like it, I think it. If I was going to write like a straight up crime novel, it would. Pro- I'd probably have to take different viewpoints. Yeah. Um, I guess it depends, like what kind of story you're writing as well. Exactly, but the, it, for the thing that I was writing, I mean, that's not exactly very complicated. So it's just, how can I take that and make that something completely new and original, and just make that as perfect as it can be. So. Th- 
keeping things simple is definitely a big one with me and just yes. making it as perfect as I can. That's so important, keeping things simple. I think it's something that's really overlooked, keeping things simple. In general. <laughs> yeah, generally in life. In, in human life, it's always more and more and bigger is better. And like, Bullshit. you know, and like just the way our mind works, we like to complicate things, the way we read um, or understand text yeah. or people's emotions or... Yeah. It's always a... Our mind complicates things, but maybe that's why simplifying is a hard thing to do because it's not a natural thing. Yeah. I think the reason do. I think the reason for that is like one of the lines in that book with God in Man is mm-hmm. um, I don't. If you're about halfway through, so I don't think you got to over. This. I think a bit over. Yeah. So that's good. What just happened? Like, what was the last bit that happened? Remind me. Um, he met. They met those. They met those girls, and then um, they were kind of falling in love i'm sorry about the characters names one of the because well, that, um, there at the beginning s- they they're, they're in that city and they save the they help save them from mm-hmm. it. and then they go to their the girls of oh the, the, farmhouse. Now, the farmhouse the farmhouse oh that's different ones so that's like the so they kept they went through the forest and then there mm-hmm. were the there were the uh and they want the, uh, the animal attacks yeah and then they get through that and then they they get some help from the farmhouse uh-huh and then and then they have to go separate ways with the with the two, two she gets she gets snatched so they need to go um sarah gets snatched and uh-huh. they need to go get her did you did you get to that bit oh she didn't get snatched yet oh okay it's coming. Okay, I'll wait for that part. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, I know what you want. No, for, wait, uh, quite further along from that, uh-huh. um, there's a line that I put in. It's like someone's, a character's talking to Dieter and says, drama is abundant among the dreamless. Mm. And what I mean by that is that someone can say that they have a dream, but for me, unless that dream is to be an absolute master of what you want to do, you will always have drama. Um, like how chill is Roger Gracie? Very chill. He's he, he's he's so chill. And amazing. Um, but the other like on that, I think people that really want to master something, and not just their sort of craft, they want to master their higher consciousness. They want to master their physical health as well. So that yeah. trifecta. Yeah. Any kind of um, drama or overcomplication of stuff where you don't rationalize things down simply so it's really not as bad as you thought it was um, means that that would be less energy you can put into what you want to do which is master what you want to do mm-hmm. and the human mind if it if it just has one emotion abundant it will start to feel like it's dying kind of flatlining it needs an EKG mm-hmm. um, so I think people that aren't doing that, they'll subconsciously they just have to manufacture stuff to get upset about, so their psyche doesn't feel like it's dying. Like how many, like I'm, like loads of people that are not doing what they want. They're in jobs that they hate, and they're not pushing themselves and really focusing on their creative craft that they know they have inside of them. They how how many of those people do you know that get upset over nothing? <laughs> Literally nothing as small as like the way their colleague handed them their stapler. <laughs> yes. It's like, how are, this happened at 10.30 in the morning when you guys were just like starting work and then it's 7 p.m. now and this is still getting to you like that. Like, 
it, it almost saddens me though but in a way i feel lucky that i have a way of you know not to be honest it's a waste a of time thing. i mean why would i bother with that when i can be focusing on getting good at this i don't have the energy for that it's, it's, it's that, just that not kind of worth thing. it, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, I have so much better stuff to think about. Like, even thinking about what to eat for dinner is more and more fun. Yeah. Just, just how how that guy made me feel. And yeah. you shouldn't even let it get to you that much. It's exactly like you said. It makes you stray away from what's really important in your life. Yeah. Just because why? I think like a lot of life's problems alleviate themselves when someone is on that path of mastery. And which Robert so. Greene wrote an entire book called Mastery. Exactly. So, which kind of breaks it down. But, I mean, mastery is real. That's hard to, to walk that path. Yeah. That's tough. Um, but you, the, only the only that people that. that can really do that is, one, if they feel like they don't have a choice, or two, they actually love it. But most people that are on some kind of path of mastery, they do that love what they're doing. Yeah, and I think it... You have out to, of those, you have out of those who are, who believe that they're on the path of mastery, I think those who truly believe that this is what they are meant to be doing, what they're here for, yeah, yeah. what they're here for, that also alleviates all that extra kind of stupid drama, really, like yeah. pointless stuff. It's like, yeah, like a, yeah. So what? <laughs> it's like the, the other thing is, is uh, um. I think, what was it, I think 50 Cent said, money won't make you happy, only a new idea will. Oh, but I think, like, I was thinking about that, and when someone says, okay, I want to be really good at this, and then they go through the process of just cutting out all the bullshit, I think a lot of people are really used to having one of their predominant goals and focuses in life to be, okay, I just want to get over the bullshit, and then I can get to everything else. Mm-hmm. And then when they do that, there's a sort of like, oh, what do I do now? Because mm -hmm. there's a sort of dopamine-esque triumph through, oh, that's not bothering me anymore. Oh, I feel really good. That's bothered me for a while. I still got a couple other things, so I won't get to this thing what I sort of feel like I'm supposed to do yet. Mm -hmm. um, I'll just do it. And then it's, it's, it's easier to do that because when you don't have any of that, you don't have anything to complain about, so all you've got, all you've got, is sit your ass down, endure boredom, and get good. Yeah. Which takes years of headache, <laughs> and not a lot of people want to pay that. They don't want to pay the man, as a CrossFit champion, I just, Josh Bridges says, pay him, pay the man. <laughs> I just feel like maybe they need something more stimulating in their lives, or something. You know what I mean? Like something to kind of. It's just cutting, quit cutting that sorry out. Just, it's, I'm going to crush this. I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. Yeah, like it's, I, I understand, of course, it is hard to do that for some people. So, you know, I do. Need jiu-jitsu. A lot of people need jiu-jitsu. Something, so. you know, some kind of hobby like jiu-jitsu or. Yeah. One, one of my friends, I was, I was at lunch with one of my friends yesterday. And uh, she paints and stuff like that. And she's in this process of self-discovery. And I. Um, I can tell. I, I can tell that she had. A, she's got some pent up cathartic emotion that needs to be vigorously <laughs> exercised out. So I spent about half an hour just saying, "Yeah, I think jiu-jitsu would be good for you. I think that'd be the right thing to do." Because she's off to Thailand on the seventeenth of this month. Yeah. So she was like, "I want to try it before." So what I did is, uh, 
was like, oh, you want to try it? Okay, cool. So what I did is I just hopped on my phone and get, gave Joanna a message and oh, said, nice. and said, um, yeah, my friend wants to try it. What's the deal with the ladies-only classes? Can she come down? Blah, blah, blah. So then I got them talking on Facebook, so they're sorting out. Nice. So, like, before here, I, um, uh, Joanna let me know that after I asked that she had messaged us, so they're kind of coordinating stuff. But I kinda, I'm kind of, like, planting that jujitsu addict bug because yeah. a lot of the, I could see that a lot of that sort of artistic brainstorm you just put jiu-jitsu in there, a lot of that's going to go away. Exactly. You're going to feel free. And I mean, she's in good hands with Joanna, and <laughs> who loves to help people with jiu-jitsu and fitness and happiness. And all For sorts sure, of that. it's what she does. But yeah, yeah, I feel you sometimes. I see that in some of my friends too. Like, you know, like jiu-jitsu would really help them. Yeah, but, yeah. But it's like, it's, it's hard to convince people. So I've stopped trying to convince people. Like, but I always... My test was like once, you know? one one shot, and then you kind of gauge it. But I could tell that she was sort of like receptive to it. Uh-huh. Plus, I managed to say that, oh yeah, don't worry, like you you'll be able to beat your brother up as well. Oh, and that was a her, her brother's younger and taller than her. Uh-huh. So um, when I said that, the, that the idea sort of delighted her. Yeah, cool, perfect. Whatever for whatever reason, <laughs> how much you get there? Cinch it up. <laughs> she would love that. Although I did say. Um, if you know jiu-jitsu and he doesn't, then you'll be able to do it. But if he, if he knows jiu-jitsu as well, you're screwed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Watch him join after her, and then they both start training. <laughs> yeah. There's <laughs> war in the house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but no, but I hope, um, she's saying, like, I think I'm going to be, I think I'll give this a go this year. Seriously, I feel like there's some people that you can. Artists sort of need see. to do martial arts. Clues in the title. I tell my friends that. Arts. And I know this sounds really, really silly, but all these canvases made out of wood, all the sculptures we do, like they're heavy. They're not, and we stretch all our own canvases. Um, You know, it's not like it comes like this. We we cut the wood, make the frame, and we buy the canvas and we stretch it. So. It is like quite like a like a upper body shoulder workout. Like I know it sounds funny, okay, you're you're painting, but you know it is heavy lifting stuff, and it helps. And and I even try to tell some of my friends here, like you know, it'll help you carry your paintings from one <laughs> wall to another wall. <laughs> you know, you, you can do that. <laughs> yeah, but the like on a more sort of like cerebral level, if you know oh, that that, too. It, it, that, but if you if you know that. If someone tries to like start some shit and you do have some sort of an idea of how to choke that fucker to sleep, yeah, that's a that's a bit of a relief in itself. So I you don't have, so. so that means you have more energy available to actually think about what you're doing mm-hmm. and make what you're doing better. Because it's all down to energy, so you want to maximize the amount available. Yeah, so and the, I mean, like, the less stressed you are about mind viruses or yeah. feeling like someone can kick your ass when you're walking down the street, exactly. The more energy you have available, so. Artists, get your ass to a martial arts academy. Preferably, Roger Gracie Academy. <laughs> or, um, Thai boxing would be good as well. But, I think that, uh, I think that any artist will be able to fully reach their pinnacle of potential if they have that part of the trifecta as well. I think so. I personally genuinely believe that i think some people have just insane starting points as well like for example 
Jimi Hendrix. What he managed to do without any physical health or higher consciousness in general is incredible. Um, but how much? Yeah, but how much more do you think he would have been able to do if, say, for example, he became obsessed with jujitsu and he had a lot of higher consciousness, so he didn't actually, so he didn't actually take heroin and throw up and choke on his vomit, and he was still alive to actually carry on. So what happened? What what do you think would we be enjoying now from Jimi Hendrix if, obviously, he played his guitar like a gazillion hours a day? But did jujitsu want an out for an hour four times a week or something? And actually, and oh maybe studied God, a bit of philosophy. Imagine that. It would be insane. Or Stevie Ray Vaughan, as well. I don't even know if that, like, if. I but these people, they've got like this insane creative talent. Uh-huh. But I think you can mine wait you you can mine your complete potential if you have those other things in there. Like everyone has a certain like just like athletes, for example, swimmers or Olympic rowers or everyone sort of has a genetic athletic potential mm-hmm. like Mike like Michael Phelps realized his athletic potential being able to swim X amount in a certain time the majority of the world cannot reach that potential mm-hmm. whether they like it or not that's kind of like that's the thing about Olympic athletes like it's genetic potential I think that puts you over the top because everyone has the same freaking work ethic mm-hmm. at the top level mm-hmm. no one's gonna outwork each other so it's just who's got the genetic potential to get furthest yeah you can't deny the genetic aspect of it at all and like certain, some people have like their creative potential some people just can just come up with some incredible stuff that's just literally mind-blowing mm-hmm. like uh, like non-stop <laughs> yeah but I mean a lot of those dudes I don't even think they've I think they only got a bit of it as opposed to all of it if they didn't have these other things in place mm-hmm. maybe they maybe some of them have something else in place that is like jiu-jitsu for us but yeah not something else you know what i mean like obviously hunter s thompson us, had drugs yeah you know whatever works for <laughs> but for he you. yeah but he caught that cult well, that culminated with him killing himself just bang yeah hemingway did that, that as well he upended our shotgun high consciousness Writers, guys. <laughs> no, but as long drank, as something is balanced, you know. Well. Yeah, a lot. Too much. Yeah. I don't even know how you can handle that, or how your body can take that. It can't. I guess it, just, it couldn't. It just breaks. You know. It just, it, it just like, breaks. There is a limit. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I'm like the most unwriter-ish. What type of writer you could probably find? Because I, I, I bet I rarely drink. I I have never even touched, put my finger on a cigarette, mm-hmm. let alone smoked one. I've never done any drugs outside of like the stuff the hospitals give you when you've like broken your leg or something. Mm-hmm. So I have had morphine, but that was just because I was in agony. Um, and I'm just pretty down to earth. I. Certainly had my demons, but I didn't act any of them yeah, out. I just sat there that, and that's, sorted that's those. Amazing. I, I just sat there and sort them, sorted them out in my head. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess that's your kind of way. Of... And I'm not self-destructive. So yeah, there I'm, I'm, I'm like completely the opposite. <laughs> and there's props to longevity. Yeah, I'll take there's that. nothing wrong with that. You know, doesn't mean one is necessarily better than the other. It is. I, I don't want to turn into a pill popping. Um, alcoholic psychopath 
who's really great at something. Well, you're not on that path, so I can get great at something without being a pill-popping alcoholic psychopath. No, you don't need to, surprisingly. 100%. Yeah. Surprisingly, you don't have to take pills for that stuff. <laughs> get those three things in place, and you're fine. As long as you stay disciplined and keep busting your ass. Whatever. Yeah. Discipline. How much Discipline time have we been going for? No. Um, that's a good question. Let me check. Feels like... It's 12.30. Hour and a half. Yeah, has okay. it been about an hour and a half? Yeah, about an hour and a half. Yeah. I think that'd be good for the for episode three. Hour and a half an hour. Sounds good. And then... Uh, Sounds good. Yeah, I'm... This was re this was really fun. We're definitely going to need to do more. And yeah, it like, didn't even feel like an hour and a half. No, like, and I'm sure, I'm sure you've got plenty of artistic friends that would want to jump on. Oh, here as for well. sure, I've already. They've um, actually the artist that I did the show with recently that they yeah. we listened to the podcast together. With, what the, the first, first one? one? Oh right, yeah. yeah that was like thirty minutes. I was just like, yeah. So we had it on playing in the gallery space. It was really nice. Oh, cool. It's really good. So definitely, any Your any didn't artists. Start to bleed. From my voice. I mean, you know, just it was kind of starting. Not <laughs> <laughs> at all. You just need a transfusion at the end. Ten units. Have it ready. Ten units. Yeah, everybody. Some sugar, some orange juice, <laughs> <laughs> some candy. Straight in the veins. Yeah, you know. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, really nice. Yeah, having we'll this be, conversation with you. Yeah, it'd be fun. We'll be getting a bunch of other people from um, the academy on. Yeah, and academy. the group, the, the group one's going to be fun. Like, I need to figure out where we can do it. Like, maybe we could do it here. No, yeah, the, the you're group one would more be, than welcome to. Yeah, like just get a bunch of us in here. Yeah, why not? We've got like I've got this like little mini house mat thing we can put it and just chill on the floor and then do a <laughs> podcast on the floor like reception <laughs> <laughs> story time hey story, guys, time. <laughs> story time but with beer <laughs> and Nima. exactly perfect <laughs> yeah like so far we got um me you muji um joanna Nima. abby wants to come on as well that'd Great. be that'd be fun um Great, great. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of people. So yeah, that would be that would be hilarious. That will have that will have no goal except <laughs> just drink beer and talk I'm shit. Like laughing already <laughs> thinking about it, like, guys. <laughs> yeah, but like the, the thing, like like yesterday, Nemo was Nemo was saying something, and he just start he just started laughing about it, and like, to funny. himself, and I was. I just had to turn my head. It's like, why do you find that funny? <laughs> he just—he doesn't know. And some, like some of the stuff that he's told me, is just hilarious. Yeah, some people crack. His Instagram, his Instagram stories are among are among the best I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Like, was, I need to check him out. One of the best ones was waiting. <laughs> 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 Just him with like a blank expression, <laughs> waiting for the bench in the gym. Oh, waiting in the traffic jam. <laughs> Just waiting. Apparently, it's the majority part of our life to wait. Yes. Yeah. The one he did, the one he did yesterday or the day before yesterday, he was sitting in the car <laughs> talking about his nutrition, and he had a can of whipped cream. <laughs> 
<laughs> he's just spraying it in his mouth and letting it spew out the other side. So Nima. <laughs> I'll, I'll check oh. my story. I'll, I'll check him out now. And there was one where he, and there, oh, I'm like almost crying. <laughs> <laughs> and there was one where he was filming the spider, like reeling up this fly. <laughs> just had an arrow on the, just drew an arrow, <laughs> word prick, <laughs> written underneath. <laughs> he is hilarious. All right. Okay. Alright, that's podcast three <laughs> in the bank and a, a taste of interesting characters to come. Yeah. Alright, okay. Thank you very much. Thank and you. That was this is interesting. It and, was. Uh, fingers crossed the alarm won't go. So I think that's, that's done. That's episode three in the bank. <laughs>